Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. We're zeroing in today on Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, the groaning and the glory part 3. More assurance for believers. These are two of the most encouraging verses in the Bible that we get to look at today. They essentially answer the question, how do I really know if I have eternal life? And we will see that the Spirit of God is active in the lives of believers and bringing us to final glory, that God assures us of the Spirit's work in our lives so that we would be confident in our standing in Christ and so that we would, we would be confident of our ultimate glory in Christ. So if you're able, I want to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read the same passage I've read the last few weeks, Romans 8, 18 to 27, get the full context. This is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of reading it and hearing it. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive it. You would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word today. All for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we have been focused on the threefold groaning in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 27. Creation groans, Christians groan, and now the zenith really of these verses, the spirit groans, the spirit groans. And I hope you're seeing with me that Romans 8 highlights the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he is the spirit of life, verses 1 through 13 tells us this, that if you don't have the spirit of God, you don't belong to Christ. He is the spirit of life. He is also the spirit of adoption. We saw that in verses 14 to 17. The spirit assures us that we are God's children, that we are his adopted children. And there's these identifying marks that you're controlled by the spirit, that you're crying out to God dependently, and you're confident in Christ and who you are in Christ. And he is also the spirit of glory. We've seen this starting at verse 18, and now we're looking at the groaning and the glory, 
And verse 18 really started it off with that, that statement, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, with the glory that is about to be revealed. It really points out the certainty and the, the closeness, the nearness of future glory. We would have a resurrected body and Christ-likeness. And Paul, he experienced Job-like suffering. He called his afflictions light. He called them light, incomparable to, to coming glory. As one writer put it, suffering is a drop. Glory is an ocean. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.10, the elect, the Christians will, will obtain salvation in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. But until then, creation groans, Christians groan, and now we see that the Spirit groans. To do a bit of review with you, just look at creation's groaning for a moment. The creation, verse 19, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, waiting for the return of the king for his bride, the unshackling from the curse and its effects. And the creation was subjected to futility by God because of man's sin. The universe is cursed. It's not what it should be or what it will be. The creation will be set free from bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The curse will be removed. And creation has been groaning up to this day, up to this moment. The pain of childbirth, the hope of relief and future life and knowing that you've got to go through the, the mandatory agony of suffering. And so we saw in that, even in those glimpses of creation, groaning that as we are living, we should be saving those glimpses of glory that we see and, and just keep serving God's purposes and see God's glory as creation groans. The Christian's groaning is insightful to us because what we're seeing here in Romans 8 is things that we wouldn't know unless we had the word of God. These are, these are things we know. We know about our groaning even as we're groaning, not just about things that are going wrong, but looking forward to the awesome glory that God has in store for us. And the source of our groaning is the spirit. It is spirit-led. The focus is on our adoption, our redemption. We're looking forward to this good glory to come with expectant waiting. And the reality is you've got to patiently endure. You've got certain hope of future glory, but as you live this life, and I've been saying it this way, as you suffer this life, because everything is suffering in light of future glory, even the best things in life, the groaning is not over you know, what isn't going right in your life. It is, it is longing for God to take away every vestige of sin in you. And the Holy Spirit is inspiring our groaning. It, it is good groaning for good glory to come while we suffer this life, while we live this life. And so we, we can embrace a good groaning, going through it as we praise God. We come here and we sing praises to God. We pray together. We, we are under the word of God, the perfect word of God, and we also need to process it together. We shouldn't just gather and not talk to each other and walk out the door and say, well, I was fed. We should in, we should interact with one another in the body of Christ, doing life together on a daily basis. We have good groaning for, from, for freedom from sin and entrance into heaven one day. 
And now we're going to focus on these, these two verses, 26 and 27, where really you see more of the Spirit's work. More of the Spirit's work. The Spirit is very active in our lives, and we wouldn't know it unless we read the Word, unless we believed the Word. God assures us of the Spirit's work in our lives so that we are, we are confident in our standing in Christ, and we are confident in our future glory in Christ. God who, is, who inspired the word is, is telling us really what is going on behind the scenes. If you're living this life, we are, being, we are being told what is going on behind the scenes, what we cannot see, but we know by faith because we believe the word of God. We see the spirits groaning. Look at verse 26. It starts this way, in the same way. In the same way, it's linking the Spirit's ministry of intercession and help with our groaning and our hoping. So as creation and believers groan for this ultimate restoration to come, the Spirit does too. The Spirit groans too. And I want to point out to you four key truths in this passage about the Spirit's groaning that assures us of His activity in our lives today as believers. The first is this. These are simple things. They're, they're simple yet profound. And they come right from the text. Number one, the Spirit helps us. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit helps us. The word for help shows up only one other time. This, this exact word shows up only one other time in the New Testament. And it's in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. You probably, you might be familiar with this, this scene where Martha is, is preparing a meal and she is overwhelmed preparing this meal. And so she asks Jesus, kind of tells Jesus to get her sister Mary to help her. And, and literally here is what she is saying to Jesus. Tell her to help me by taking hold of her end of the task. Tell her to help me by taking hold of her end of the task. She's got to hold up her responsibility. Now this helps us understand the Spirit's help. Help means to take hold of with someone. The Spirit helps us in our weakness and upholds us. What is our weakness? It's our fallenness. It's, this is in the singular. It's weakness because it's, there's a lot of it. <laughs> fallenness, sin, sinful wandering frailness, our needing to be reassured, our, our inability to grasp truth. The, the Spirit dwelling in believers helps us. First John 1.7 tells us the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from sin. John chapter 1 tells us that in Christ we have grace upon grace, this idea of continual help, of unceasing help. If you're in Christ, here's what God is alerting you to often. His holiness and your sinfulness. You're very aware of his holiness, you're very aware of your sinfulness. And, and you admit that you're weak. Christians are people who admit that they're weak because admitting you're weak takes a broken, contrite heart who's humble before God. It takes humility that we're humbled to admit our need for help. And we know our limitations. But here, what we have here is, is life-saving news from the Spirit of God about the Spirit of God, that the Spirit helps us. 
The Spirit helps us. And it says it's because, verse 26, we don't know how to pray as we ought. This is about the work of the Spirit in our lives. It's talking about prayer, though, but it's primarily pointing to what the Spirit does, what we should pray for, we don't know. This is not just the the topics of your prayers. This is the content of our prayers as well. We don't know our needs like God knows our needs. We don't know other people's needs like God knows their needs. God sees and knows all. We don't. We don't know what we should really pray for. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. But the Spirit picks up the slack. The Spirit knows what, that we don't know what to pray for and lovingly helps us. And this is going on behind the scenes in a Christian's life. And the reason we're being told this is because God wants us to understand the Spirit's works. That God wants us to understand how the Spirit works. God's adopted children, saved and secure, need to know how the Spirit works. Because due to our finite minds, our imperfect minds, our limitations, we can't pray 100% consistent with God's will, even when we're praying for God's will. We're unaware of spiritual needs that exist, much less how to meet them. So our prayer contains a lot of guesswork. We've got family problems and, and work issues and prayer requests, just reams of prayer requests, and even what's going on in the world Indonesian earthquake and tsunami and even looking back of, on people who have survived 9-11 and tomorrow is the one year anniversary of the Las Vegas massacre and we'll, we remember that even. But you're praying and you're praying for needs but you don't know how to pray and, and a lot of it is guesswork. So if you are sincere and you are faithful and you are regular in prayer, you still have to admit you don't know God's plans concerning everything you're praying for. It's what we do not know, and it's, and it's what we know. I mean, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but we do know that God works all things together for good to those who love him. You live this life, you suffer this life, and you don't know how to pray like you should. You don't know what to pray for. You don't know how to pray. Think about Paul. Paul prayed three times for a thorn in the flesh to be removed. Three times he prayed the same thing, and the Lord essentially corrected him. He's like, Paul, you're praying wrong. My grace is sufficient for you. You can look it up in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9. He says, my, my grace is sufficient for you. He's telling him, don't pray for relief. Pray for grace to carry you through this. This is going to stay. And Paul in that process and many others discovered his weakness but along with it the compensating factor of the power of God he grasped more clearly the power of God the spirit knows how to pray we don't the spirit knows how to pray because he knows God's will because he's God we don't we're not there's a story of Augustine um, who in his earlier years, before he got saved, was a very evil man. And his mom was a believer. His mom's name was Monica. And she had a heavy burden on her heart for her son. And she learned at one point that he was leaving home and going to Italy. 
And she thought to herself, I'm going to pray that God doesn't let him go to Italy because he's going to get in more trouble while he's there. So she's praying earnestly for her son's salvation and then praying earnestly that God would not let him go to Italy. But God had other plans. Augustine went to Italy. And while he was in Italy, he got saved. Jesus saved him while he was in Italy. He came to know Christ. See, God knows your aspirations and God answers in his own way and time. Sometimes you pray inaccurately. You pray for the wrong thing. His mother didn't know how to pray as she should. God did not say yes to that specific request. But he brought about his specific outcome. He answered her years-long prayer for her son's salvation. If you don't know Christ, there's a good chance that there have been people in this assembly who have been praying for you. I can probably just assure it. Unless you've walked in today or you're listening to this and you don't know anyone at this church. But we don't know how to pray as we ought. Lord, draw them to yourself. Lord, open their eyes that they would see the gospel truth. We can't make that happen. We don't know all the backstory of your life and what you've gone through and, and how you're processing what you're processing. By the way, if that's you today, you don't know Christ and you haven't yielded your life to him, I would, I would just say, do it now. If you've come here before, you know what, what, what the Bible says because you've heard us say it, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he was buried and he was risen on the third day. The scriptures tell us these things and he is returning with judgment for unbelievers and blessing for believers. And, and the Bible tells us, in fact, if you turn in your Bible over to Romans chapter 10, and you'll notice this, it says in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, so you're, you're speaking words, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and coupled with believing in your heart, so you believe something, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now you notice what it doesn't say. If you clean up your life and take care of all your sins and come and look really good and be really good, God will save you. That's not what it says. That's not the gospel. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the, the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It goes on to say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's an assurance right there from the word of God. You've got to take it by faith. I hope you have. I hope you do now. We don't know how to pray as we ought. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The triune God helps us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He knows everything. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3 He works all things after the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11 he orchestrates everything. He governs everything. He sustains everything. He works all things all for his glory. And he does so perfectly consistent with all his perfections. It's beautiful. But we don't know how. And we don't know what. Because we are finite. And we only know, here's what we know. We know from the word of God, God's commanded will. We know that we are, ought to forgive. And we know that we should love not just our friends and our family, but our enemies as well. 
We know lots of things in the revealed will of God, but we don't know the whole will of God. We don't know how to pray except for the Spirit-given Word. We know how to pray because God's Word teaches us how to pray. You take the Old Testament prayers. Those are good models of prayer and of confession of sin and of dependence on God. You take the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' prayer to the Father in John 17. There's a model for prayer. You take the disciples' prayer, Jesus' instructions to his disciples on how to pray. They said, teach us how to pray, and he did. You take Paul's prayers for the church. Every New Testament prayer is a corporate prayer in Paul's letters, written to the church, the plural you. But we're strengthened by the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us what we need. We are incapable of doing what only God can do. In John chapter 15, 5, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Jesus says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Quite literally true because he holds all things together by the word of his power. But also you can do nothing of eternal consequence, nothing of eternal significance apart from Christ. We are weak. We don't know how to pray We don't know what to pray for. We don't know all of God's will. And that's why the second part here is so, so encouraging. The second thing is the Spirit prays for us. The Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know how to pray as we ought, so the Spirit prays for us. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit fills in our lack of understanding and And he intercedes for us. He he compensates for our lack. We don't know, but the Spirit does. That's why he intercedes. Prays for us. The Spirit's tasks were clearly spelled out in John chapter 16, and I'll just ask you to make a note of that and look, look at John 16, what Jesus said about what the Spirit would do. One of the things the Spirit would do is intercede for us. When you intercede for someone, you talk about intercessory prayer, that's where you pray for other people. Okay, there's prayers of praise where you're praising God and you're, you're asking, there's petitions, but intercession is where you're praying for other people specifically. We pray as believers. If you're a believer, you're praying and you're, you're having communion with God as you're praying and you're personally involved in that and what this verse is telling us is, so is the Spirit of God. So is the Spirit of God as you're praying. Even if you don't feel that, it's true. We believe it because the Word says it. The Spirit is praying. We pray overshadowed by the Spirit of God. This is what Ephesians 6.18 calls praying in the Spirit. You may have been taught it means something else. But this is what praying in the Spirit is. The Spirit intercedes for us. You bring your every need before God, and even when you don't know how to put it into words, even when you pray unwisely, the Spirit himself personally prays for you. He is our security. And he prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You've got God praying to God here. Divine communication within the Trinity that cannot be expressed in words but carry deep prayers for the welfare of every believer. The Spirit is praying for you. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2.11. 
By the way, this, this work of the Spirit in, in praying for us, it parallels the, the high priestly work, the intercessory work of Jesus on our behalf. Uh, just look through Hebrews chapter 2 and 4 and 7. It's chock full of Jesus interceding for us. And also, here in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, who is, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. You've got Jesus praying for you at the right hand of God. You've got the Holy Spirit in you praying for you. You are covered. You are safe and secure in Christ. No reason to doubt. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The groanings are not... By the way, unknown tongues, they are not ecstatic utterances with no meaning. It is the Spirit's intercession to the Father on our behalf. Groanings not able to be heard or, and inexpressible with words. It goes beyond our understanding. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit communicating with each other. The Holy Spirit praying to the Father as we groan in our fallenness. The Spirit groans in intercession for us. As you groan in your fallenness, the Holy Spirit groans in intercession for you. Be encouraged by that word. The Spirit in us prays for us. Jesus at the right hand of God prays for us. This is why we can pray. This is why you can pray. It enables you and empowers you to pray. Even when you have no strength to pray, even when you have no words to say, the Spirit knows our frame, that we are dust. Psalm 103, verse 14. And your eloquence doesn't matter. People pray so eloquently sometimes. There are people who, who their prayers get put in books because they prayed so great. Every sincere prayer of believers ends up in the bowl of prayers in Revelation 8, verse 3. Revelation 5, 8 tells us the golden bowls of incense, they're the prayers of the saints, prayers of believers. The Spirit's prayers on our behalf, the groanings too deep for words, all because of God's love. The cry of God to God, the prayer of God to God on our behalf. Wow. We deserved hell. We rebelled against God's throne. And he brings us into his family and we groan due to our sin. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And that means blessed are those who mourn over their sinfulness. We, we groan due to our sin. We groan for mercy. Psalm 38, verse 8. We go to God for mercy and comfort. And the Spirit prays for us. Jesus' work of, of redemption in our lives began when we came to faith in Christ. I hope some of you got saved today. And then it continues until we're in heaven glorified. But it's guaranteed by really two things, the high priestly work of Jesus and the, and the indwelling intercession of the Holy Spirit. He prays for us. It doesn't just help us and pray for us, but it's quite assuring, it shouldn't be frightening, that the Spirit knows us. That's the third thing. The Spirit knows us. Verse 27 says, He who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. He who searches heart. God knows our hearts. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord sees not as man sees. 
Man looks at the outward appearance. We're looking around at people and we're making all sorts of judgment on their motives and their heart and we don't know because we're not God. But the Lord looks on the heart. 1 Kings 8.39 It's a prayer here in heaven, O Lord, your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. 1 Chronicles 28.9, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and every thought, every scheme you're scheming, every plan you have, every thought you have, God knows it all. It shouldn't be frightening, it should be comforting. If it's frightening, confess your sins. If it's comforting, praise God. Go over to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. David Saying, search me, O God, know my heart. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? And he's not saying, I want to hide from you, God. He's saying, I am so glad you're always with me. Verse 13, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In your book were written all, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If you count them, they would be more than the sand. I, I awake and I am still with you. Verse 23, search me, O God, know my heart. The knowledge of God, of us, is absolutely perfect and far greater than we would ever know ourselves. Spirit knows, overrides our weakness. God's not looking over your shoulder and saying, you did that wrong, you said that wrong. you got sinful people in your life to do that for you. The Spirit lovingly knows your heart and God's heart because he is God. He knows you. The Spirit helps you. The Spirit prays for you. The Spirit knows you. And one more, the fourth thing here. The Spirit prays for the church. The Spirit prays for the church, verse 27, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is very important for us to grasp. Saints always refers to all believers. Christians are members of God's family, the entire body of Christ, temple built from living stones, individual that comprise the individual believers, put into a unified body, and this, this balances... This counteracts our Western individualism where we read everything as, that's just for me. Sure, it's for you, but it's for us. You understand the church. God is praying, the Spirit is praying for the collective spiritual well-being of every believer, for the entire true church. The, The Spirit is praying for all believers, even me, even you. The activity of the Spirit on our behalf, it it culminates in this declaration. He intercedes for the saints. He intercedes for the saints. There are people that will guarantee you things and they can't deliver on their promise. But this, this guarantees the success of God's salvation to the end. 
Nothing can stop his saving and securing you forever and bringing you to glory in Christ because the continual work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit guarantees it. Do you, do you see how encouraging that is for a believer to know these things? We wouldn't know them unless we could read them right here in the Word. He prays for the church according to the will of God. According to the will of God, the Spirit's will and the Father's will are, are the same because God is one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been one in essence and in will. So them communicating with each other, a great mystery for our minds, but it's a reality of God that we ought to acknowledge and celebrate by faith. The Father sent the Son to die in our place. The Son is interceding for us. The Spirit was sent to, to form Christ in us and to, to intercede for us and to carry us to the end. This is what preserves us in our eternal hope. It's so encouraging. God's will will be done because of the Spirit, not because of us, not because of our hard efforts. The Spirit gives us everything we need to be fruitful and faithful. That's why Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, the salvation you've been given. Work it out with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you, both to will and do his good pleasure. So the Spirit is working over time, doing what we cannot do, bringing about God's perfect will. See, prayer is not you trying to get God to do your will. It is us, it's us yielding our wills to God and to his will. That's how we pray God's will be done. If it were not for the Spirit of God, though, we couldn't pray in the right direction. We would not know the will of God apart from the word of God. If not, and if not for the intercessory work of Jesus and the Spirit on our behalf, on behalf of the church, we would be way more deceived than we already are. Can you imagine not having the indwelling Spirit? Think about how easy it is for professing Christians to be tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. But beneath the groaning of a partially rescued church, there is the wordless groaning of God crying to God on behalf of the church. This is wonderful news. The groaning of God praying to God. The prayer of God to God. And rest assured the prayer will be answered. And the work will be completed. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. He will do it. Creation groans. We groan, yes. But we have the groaning of the comforter. We have the help of the Holy Spirit dealing with our weakness. We're wrestling in prayer and the Spirit helps us. We suffer, we long for deliverance, the Spirit helps us. We're burdened by the presence of indwelling sin and the Spirit helps us. We're weakness, we have weakness, we feel the weakness in our struggle. The Spirit helps us. We cry out to God for help, the Spirit helps us. Because our longing for release finds help in the third person of the Trinity. And yes, we have two intercessors, Jesus in heaven and then in us, the Holy Spirit. You reach the limit of your unglorified mind, the Spirit intercedes for you. Takes over with loving groanings for your deliverance. The Spirit's prayers are always answered. He gives you comfort and assurance and security and peace. God praying to God on your behalf. 
on the church's behalf. This should encourage us immensely. This should cause us to be transformed in our living and praying because the Spirit is active in our life and bringing us to final glory. God wants you to be confident in your standing in Christ and your ultimate glory in Christ. So we, 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 we read this for our encouragement. The Spirit's helping us. The Spirit's praying for us. The Spirit knows us. And the Spirit is praying for the whole church. We who have new life in Christ, we have new relationships, we're sons and daughters of God, with this new hope. We have this earnest expectation and we have a new help in Christ. We have the helper, the Holy Spirit. This should cause us to live and pray, not in doubt and fear, but in confidence. You may be today in the depths of despair. You might be encountering deep personal loss. You might be wrestling with a life-changing decision. You might be confronting your own sins and flaws. And when your vocabulary can't reach what needs to be said, the Spirit takes over. When you're too weak to say anything to God, when you have no words to pray, don't feel that you cannot pray. When you feel you cannot pray because you don't know what to pray, don't let it stop you. The Father searches our hearts, hears the groaning beneath our words, knows the motives behind our requests, and the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. The Spirit helps us pray in line with God's will and His working in us and in the world. This applies to everything in the Christian life. It applies to your attempt to do anything good. God will satisfy every desire for good in the work of faith with power, Holy Spirit power. This causes us, and it ought to cause us, to live and pray for Christ's excellencies to be acknowledged, not our own. The Spirit is at work. In my backyard, I've got this windmill. It's a fake windmill. It's not attached to any you know, water pump or anything like that, but a windmill is worked by the wind, and so we see it spinning all the time. And, and in, Bible, in the Bible, you know, it, it, the, the Spirit of God is equated to the wind. You cannot see the Spirit of God, but you see the Spirit's effects. How the Holy Spirit inspires and empowers us. And Jesus, in John chapter 3, was talking to Nicodemus about what it means to be born again by the Spirit of God, made alive spiritually by the Spirit of God, and carried along doing God's work. And he's, he's basically saying, the wind you cannot see, but you see its effects. The Spirit you cannot see, but you see its effects in the human life. See, the sanctifying Spirit of God lives in every believer and is always at work in your life, reminding you that you've been set free, reminding you that you're a child of God, you've been adopted, you've been saved from the penalty of sin and from its power. You can daily choose to walk in the power of the Spirit and the indwelling Spirit is doing behind the scenes, unseen, what we cannot do. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 9. Don't misunderstand God's grace to us. He isn't primarily interested in showing us our significance. He is primarily interested in revealing his magnificence and, and, and letting us know we are chosen in him to proclaim his excellencies, not ours. And that's why the Spirit leads us to fix our hope on Christ. That's the driving passion of our life, should be Jesus and the gospel. We talk, this passage is in the context of hope, Christian hope. Where do you put your hope? 
Where are you putting your hope? Is it in the next deal, the next relationship, the next party, the next good time? Where do you put your hope? What are you looking forward to most intently? What relief are you seeking and why? You've got to ask these probing questions. Are you looking forward to a nap? Aren't we all? Are you looking forward to a game, a car, a promotion, a retirement, grandchildren, building a house, buying a house? Those are not bad things to enjoy. God gives us all things to enjoy. But at the end of the day, everything that isn't eternal will burn. And there is magnificent hope in Christ. And suffering will make you groan and grow in Christ. Even as you are looking for the blessed hope and appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this passage, it, these two verses. It, God is like peeling back the curtain and showing us what is going on behind the scenes. What we cannot see but know by faith because we believe the word. We believe the, the Spirit helps us and prays for us and knows us and prays for the church. That ought to make us grateful, very grateful and, and, and generous and, and discerning. That the Spirit helps our weakness? It's like turbo boost. It's like a stretcher bearer. It's like a comforter. Yes, you're weak. Yes, I'm weak. Don't let that be the excuse that you give for being unfaithful to the Lord. Let that be the reason you run into his arms. Let that be the reason you acknowledge his power that is made perfect in your weakness. Let it be your voice that is heard crying about amongst all the other voices, crying out that Christ is sufficient. The Spirit is praying for us, intercedes, comes alongside, prays together with us, knows everything, cares about you, hears you, understands you. And your prayers might be weak. They might be feeble. They might be incomplete. But let it never be said that our prayers were faithless. We have a great God interceding for us. Know that if you have God praying for you, you have everything you need and more. The Spirit knows us, knows our hearts, knows our desires. There's nothing hidden from Him. He's loving us. He's forbearing with us. The Spirit of God in you knows better than you do who you are. So you need to trust the Spirit of God. Don't let the knowledge of God's knowledge frighten you into withdrawing from His fellowship. Let the knowledge of His knowledge comfort you and comfort your heart that you are not consumed and that you are being made Christ-like in this process of sanctification. The Spirit is praying for the church. The church that will grow together into a dwelling of God by the Spirit. That everything God intends to do in and through us is going to come about. And in spite of our often disunified, unholy messes we make, it's like a patient, loving parent. The gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church, his bride, his pride and joy, will not be forsaken, will not be destroyed, but will rise victorious over all forces of evil. This is the truth about Christ's church. All because of the groom, all because of Jesus reigning. What great love what goodness to not only plan all this out but purpose it and to carry it out god is so good
He is so good to us. He, he's in complete control of everything. And he's working all things after the counsel of his will for his glory. So be, a, be assured, church. Be encouraged. Know that whatever's coming next, God knows. Stay engaged in the calling that he's put upon your life and our life together. Let us seek the glory of the one true God over all. Because he is good. Amen? All right, let's pray.